Uh, good morning. So today we are continuing our series on the burden is light. And I'm going to be drawing heavily from the book by John Tyson. So if I say anything really profound, you can be sure it's from him. We're looking at a chapter today that is called Passion Versus Complacency. So when I first came back to God in a big way, I moved to Wellington and I went to Bible college. I was so passionate about Jesus that I would spend my free time just out in the garden at the back of uh, our flat. And I was just amazed at creation. It was like Jesus had opened my eyes uh, again and I was seeing everything for the first time. So I would just be out there sitting and breathing and just looking around smiling and just praying and just being with Jesus. It was a really precious season. I found uh, sharing my faith over this time really easy because it was coming from a place of passion. It was coming from an overflow of a life just spent with Jesus. I didn't have any friends, which actually really helped because it meant I had time and space for stillness and solitude and just communing with Jesus. So it was precious. But this season eventually came to an end. But there was another beautiful one up ahead. Because I just moved to Wellington, I eventually made some friends. So that was exciting. And then I moved into a flat with six other Christian girls. Uh, One of them is here today, Gemma Wordsworth. And we lived on the hill in Wellington in a big house that we called the Palace. And this was so rich and deep. It was an environment just dripping with love and devotion for Jesus. I was so blessed by the passion of the people around me. We would have worship times and spontaneous prayer nights. We would give each other prophetic words. We would sit in bed together with our Bibles and read them by candlelight. And looking back, uh, God taught me so much in that season because I was blessed by the passion of those around me. And I just captured something of their passion. So fast forward a whole bunch of seasons, and here I am now married to a very passionate man, Sam Harvey, and his passion is one of the things I love about him. As you know, he's passionate about Jesus, but he's also passionate about lots of other things, and some of them I get, some of them I don't get. If you look at his Facebook feed, it's just full of all this really boring, nerdy stuff about home theatre systems, which he's very passionate about. There's people talking about speakers and wires and cables and weird little electronic dongles. And they even talk on length on there about a thing called the WAF, which is the W-A-F. It's the Wife Acceptance Factor. Will your wife accept these speakers? And I think it's safe to say, normally, no. Your wife won't accept them and she won't be happy. But over the years, I have just been worn down by his passion for home theatre. And, and I've captured something. And so my lounge is just full of speakers. It's like 90% speakers. And there's wires and there's electronic dongles. But I've become excited about it too because passion is contagious, You know, as the seasons of my life have changed, I'm still passionate about Jesus, but I just don't have the space I used to have. I don't have the time I used to have. I don't have the freedom I once had. I've got responsibilities. I've got people that I love that need me. I've got three little boys. There are many, many socks that I have to wash every day. You know, I'm just constantly exhausted now. I could happily go for a nap right now. 
You know, I was sort of nodding off during the worship, having just a holy nap. Like, it's beautiful, but I'm tired, you know? Once it seemed like it was, it was really easy to be passionate about Jesus, but now I know I have just got to be intentional about feeding my passion. And I know that heaps of you guys are in exactly the same boat. Our passion for him, first and foremost, comes from him. So if, if we want to have a fire in our soul, then we've got to spend time with the one who sets our heart on fire. When we're exhausted and we're busy and we just don't have any margin in our life for time with Jesus, then we get dry and and just everything seems hard and our passion wanes. But on the other hand, when we're living and we're working and we're ministering and we're loving out of a place of passion, there is just an ease and a lightness that comes. Like it says in Matthew 11, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So today we're going to look at a passage that points us to passion. John 12, 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And this passage, this event is told in some of the other gospels as well. So I just want to jump across to Mark. And it's thought to be the same event that's told in Mark. And so I just want to highlight a few things um, from this perspective. It actually says she broke the jar and poured the perfume. Then later down it says, and they rebuked her harshly. But Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. And then he says, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. When this event takes place, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's with his disciples and he stops to see some of his friends, Mary, Martha and Lazarus. Now, Jesus knows there's really hard stuff up ahead for him, but the others are pretty oblivious. They don't know what's coming. And so it would have been a time of joyful fellowship. They were probably having robust conversations about the kingdom of God. They might have been reflecting on some of the miracles that they'd seen and been part of. They were probably enjoying eating together and just enjoying being with Jesus. So it's a pretty normal night. But then Mary is so moved with passion that she does something extraordinary and totally unexpected. Mary has had this previous encounter with Jesus and it's changed her. It had a profound effect on her. She has experienced his love and his grace. And because of this, her deep loves moves her to interact up the evening. So she takes a bottle of perfume, she breaks it, and she pours it out over Jesus. And then as if that wasn't awkward enough, she actually gets down on her hands and knees, and she wipes his freshly anointed feet, and they're probably pretty slimy and greasy, and she wipes them with her hair. Now, many of us know that passage really well, 
But if we stop and think about it, it, it is extraordinary. It's, it's awkward. What she did was awkward, and, and it's controversial, and it's inappropriate because in their culture, women didn't touch men in public, and especially not in an intimate way. And so the people that are watching react the way that we would expect. They're outraged, and, and, and that they start saying things, and they start rebuking her like it tells us. But Mary didn't seem to mind. There isn't any talk in the passage of Mary feeling ashamed when she realises that people are watching and whispering. Uh, There isn't talk of her whispering apologies and running off to the other room. Mary doesn't seem to mind. Mary knew in her heart that she'd done something pleasing to Jesus. She knew this because she knew him. She knew his great love for her. She wasn't afraid that her passion was going to be rejected. She wasn't afraid that her passion was too much for Jesus. Because Mary had experienced Jesus' great love, she knew that her devotion delighted him. Do we know that our devotion delights God? Our devotion delights Jesus. He isn't just interested in outcomes. It's our devotion that delights him. When we sing with abandon in worship, whether we're singing in tune, whether we sound like, you know, Elise or Beth, or or whether we're singing out of tune, it's our devotion that delights him. (laughs) You know, when, when we go outside and we just get lost in the awe of creation, in the wonder, and we remember to say thank you, it's our devotion that delights him. When we get alongside someone who maybe doesn't have any friends, someone on the fringes, someone who's marginalised, and we love them because we love Jesus first, it's our devotion that delights him. When we do less and produce less, but we learn more and more to just live in a place of peace and rest, it's our devotion that delights him. John Tyson says we have a tendency to judge everything on its pragmatic value. If we invest, we want an immediate return. We want to find value in everything. Does beauty fit into that framework? Such a good question. When we measure things only by their ability to produce results and not for their intrinsic worth, the world is flattened down to one dimension and beauty and delight are squeezed out. There is so much beauty in what Mary did because it was uncalculated generosity. We can trust that our acts of love and devotion are not going to be met with rejection. Probably most of us have poured out our love to someone over the years only to have the door slammed in our face and our heart left in tatters. We know what it feels like. It stings. But Jesus will never reject us. Let that just sink in. God will never reject us. Every act of love and devotion that we offer to God is met with joy. It's received with joy. He sees the heart. We don't have to be good at something for it to be a worthwhile gift to God. He knows if what we offer comes from a place of true devotion or not. There's no hiding our heart from God. Psalm 44, 21 says, For he knows the secrets of the heart. Now, God doesn't say this to scare us, but to bring more freedom. He sees our heart. Nothing's hidden from him. So if our heart's in a rotten place, we can bring it before him with honesty and vulnerability, and we can ask him in, and he's the one who transforms it. God cares deeply about the state of our hearts. He cares about our motives. If you look at this passage, it tells us that Judas is motivated purely by money. 
It says, Judas says, why was this ointment not sold and given to the poor? He says this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he used to help himself to what was put in the money bag. So his motives sound noble. They look good on the outside. Sounds like he cares about the poor, but actually his heart is rotten. Then we look at Mary's motives, and Mary has a pure motive, devotion to Jesus. She just wants to pour out her devotion. That's it. She's not trying to impress anyone. She's surrounded by men, but she's not worried about fitting in. She's not worried about being accepted. She's actually not concerned with them because her eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of her faith. It's extraordinary. You know, thinking about this passage, I'm just reminded that I need to examine my own motives. Do I come to God because I want closeness or do I come because I don't want him to think badly of me because I haven't talked to him lately? Or do I come to him because I want to pour out devotion or because I want him to do something for me? Do we come to church because we want to glorify his name, we want to worship him, we're hungry for more of him? Or do we come because it's the good Christian thing to do? I think these are really good questions to ask. Bringing our honest motives before Jesus and asking him to transform our hearts is actually an act of devotion in itself because we're bringing it to him, we're inviting him in, we're choosing to involve him. This is the second time that Mary has fixed her eyes on Jesus and cared very little for the people around her. In a previous encounter, Jesus goes to the house of Mary and Martha. Martha is busy, she's doing preparations, but Mary stills herself and she comes and just, she just sits at Jesus' feet. And that was normally the place that the men would sit. But Mary, she was just, she was so enthralled by Jesus. She just wanted to be close to him, so she sat at his feet. It was her passion that, that was driving her. The defini definition for passion, it is a strong and barely uncontrollable emotion. So we see here that Mary just didn't control her passion. She let her passion move her to action. Firstly, when she sat at his feet, and secondly, when she broke the bottle and poured the perfume. I'm hugely inspired by Mary's courage to follow her heart, to bless Jesus, even in the face of ridicule. John Wimber, who, is, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement, he said something that's always stuck with me. He said, I'm a fool for Jesus. Whose fool are you? I love it. Mary was made to look like a fool. She was looked down upon by those around her. She pours the perfume and then they basically say, oh man, you could have done something really worthwhile with, with that. You could have actually helped someone, but instead you've done something really stupid. Judas is giving Mary what one of our friends in Christchurch likes to call a condemn sandwich. It's a sandwich of condemnation. You know, he's saying, you're going to feel stink. But, but Jesus intercepts, and instead he offers her the bread of life, which is more of him. And he says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And in this moment, we see the immense value of what Mary's done. We see the beauty in it. It was worth more than money and riches because she blessed the heart of God. The oil that she poured out was rare and expensive and valuable. It was the custom in their culture to anoint the important guests. But the anointing was just with a dab. 
A dad was measured and acceptable. A dad was very reasonable and tidy and well thought out. But Mary didn't dab. She broke the bottle open and poured the perfume. There was nothing tidy, nothing acceptable about that. It was over the top. It was lavish, but it blessed the heart of God. It was beautiful in the eyes of Jesus. Sometimes we get so blasé about Jesus that we lose sight of his brilliance. But if we stop to reflect, every single time we think we might have heard from God, every time he impresses something on our heart, stirs something up, every time we feel the Holy Spirit resting on us, the God who created the universe is communicating with us. It's an awe-inspiring thought if we slow down enough. You know, in the leadership meeting this week, Sam said, oh, I've been thinking and praying and we're going to do a series on the parables. And then Charlotte piped up and she said, oh my gosh, I've just written the plan for the kids for next term and it's on the parables. And we were like, oh wow, that's cool. And you know, it could have been a coincidence, but knowing the way God works, I don't think it was. God obviously has something exciting he's going to say to us in the parables. Now, in the meeting, we were sort of like, oh, okay, cool. And then we just moved on, you know, through the agenda. But it wasn't until later on that I was reflecting and I thought, hang on, I don't want to get blasé about God speaking. I, I want to slow down and pause and think, oh, man, the creator of the universe is communicating with us. It's so exciting. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a really hard time, and one of my friends was ministering to me on the phone, and a, a verse popped into her head, and she said, oh, I think this is for you. You will be known by your fruit. And oh, it was just, it was like a balm to my soul. So I tucked it away in my heart, and then the next morning, I was clearing out my handbag. It's always full of half-eaten pieces of fruit. It's full of uh, bits of origami. They're not Sam's. They're actually the kids, but... Um, and <laughs> could be, but, and you know, I pulled out a card. Now, the card was from Elsa, who's sitting up here. She's like, oh no, what did I say? What did I do? Um, and it was a card she wrote me months ago for my birthday. I've forgotten it was even in there, but I had a reread of it. And it was so amazing because it built exactly on the, on the verse my friend had just given me. My friend said, you'll be known by your fruit. In the card, it said, you will be a fruit in all seasons. So like even the difficult seasons. And oh, again, it was like a balm for my soul. And I just felt so incredibly overwhelmed and blessed that the God who created the universe was communicating with me in such a loving and encouraging way. The disciples had seen it all. They'd been with Jesus. They'd seen the miracles. Maybe they were getting a little blasé. But Mary wasn't numbed with familiarity. Mary was overwhelmed with love. Sometimes when we see unbridled passion like Mary's, we don't see beauty. We can be repulsed by it. We can think, oh, that was a bit much. Or like, oh, no, that's no, that's over the top. It's just not necessary. We can even feel threatened by passionate people because what they do is they shine a light on our own complacency. The truth is that we all have passions. We all have emotions that drive us to action. It's just a matter of where do we channel them? Our passions are reflected in where we spend our time, our money, and our talents. Then we can see where our passions are. Our culture has normalized a whole lot of passionate activity. JT says this, binge watching entire seasons of TV shows on Netflix, normal. Spending $4,000 on a trip to Europe, normal. Training hours a week to maintain our looks, that's what Sam does, normal. 
Joining a fantasy sports league and tracking it like a Wall Street trader, normal. Devoting your life to serving Jesus, extreme, probably unhealthy. That really spoke to me when I read that book. It really did. I felt something, ooh, I felt that in my heart. This quote shows how disordered the focus of our passions can be. We can't fake our passions. When we're passionate about something, it changes our priorities. It changes the way we live our life. If we want more passion for Jesus, then we need a fresh revelation of His love for us. If we really understand how long and deep and wide and high the love of God is, it changes us. It changes the way we live. JT says this, the wild, unrestricted love of God is not simply an inspiring idea. When it imposes itself on mind and heart, it determines why and at what time you get up in the morning, how you pass your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read and who you hang with. It affects what breaks your heart, what amazes you and what makes your heart happy. True passion for Jesus moves and inspires the world. Jesus was so moved by what Mary did in this passage. He wanted us to remember it. He says, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And we're outworking that today. We're still talking about her passionate worship 2,000 years later. The Bible is packed full of passionate people. It's so good. At the moment, it's my daily devotional. I'm doing the Bible in a year. So you get a little passage every morning, and it's in order. So I'm reading my way through. At the moment, I'm in Acts, and it's very exciting. The news about Jesus is starting to spread because of passionate people, because of Paul, because of Peter, and because of the other disciples. They are single-handedly spreading the good news, spreading the news about Jesus, spreading God's love and grace. They're talking about it to anyone they can. They're being persecuted. They're being beaten. They're being put in prison. Some of them are killed, but their passion is unchanging and their passion is untamed because it's bubbling up and it's just spilling over and their passion is moving them to action. There are a bunch of people in this church whose passion moves me to my core. It makes me emotional just thinking about it because I am inspired and challenged by their passion and I want to share some of them today so that you can capture the heart of their passion. There's a lady that we know here in Napier. She has such a heart of worship and love for Jesus that she sets her alarm and gets up at 5 a.m. because she wants to, to, to have space to spend time in prayer and worship. She's got a big job. She works full time. You know, she's got kids. She's got grandkids. But she makes space for Jesus. And when she was studying and she needed to do her study in the morning as well, she didn't let her study take the place of her prayer. She shifted her day earlier and she got up at 4 4 a.m. Now that inspires me. That kind of devotion inspires me. I've got a friend called Adam, and Adam and me and a bunch of us went to Nepal years ago to serve and love some of the kids in the kids' homes and the orphanages over there. And we were so moved and so challenged by what we saw. And we came home, but 
Adam had this passion that moved him to action. You know, I, I was sort of praying for them and, you know, thinking about them. But his passion moved him. And he set up a New Zealand-based charity called Compassion Nepal so that we could all work together and raise money here in New Zealand and send it to Nepal. It was amazing. And then that wasn't enough because Adam's passion was bubbling up and boiling over. And so he packed his bags and back he went to Nepal. And he stayed there for 10 years. He's only just left. And he stayed there loving and serving those kids because his passion had moved him to action. That inspires me. I've got a friend in Christchurch called Leanne. I just love her passion for Jesus. You know, I FaceTimed her not long after we'd moved to Napier. And so FaceTime, you can obviously see what they're doing. And she answered me, and she's on a microphone like this. And she's got a full karaoke set up going. And I was like, um, you know, I can't see your party. It looks like you're on your own there. Like, what's happening? She said, oh, I'm just having a worship time. <laughs> she's set up in her lounge on her own, having a worship time. And, and let me clarify, she's not a worship leader. She wasn't practicing for Sunday. She was simply enjoying the presence of God. Her husband was at work. Her kids are in bed. She's having a worship time in the lounge. That passion inspires me. We have a friend in this church called Blair. You might know him. His passion is just unquenchable. He gets up at 3.45 in the morning because at 4 o'clock he has what he calls an appointment with the king. Oh, that is so inspiring. And if you talk to Blair, it hasn't been easy. He has had to contend for it and fight for it and make it happen, but he does it because he loves Jesus and he loves spending time in God's presence. And he will say that even though it's been hard, his life has been so blessed by it. And that blesses me. His passion inspires me. And then there's Andre. Oh, man. I just, that... That communion talk is just so inspiring. Like Andre has a passion and a love for Jesus that means he invites people to church. You know, he tells people, come to church. This is where it's at. He tells people, come and experience the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God. And as he spoke about forgiveness, oh, I can feel that burning in my heart, like that passion that he has. It inspires me. It's beautiful. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I look at these people in our midst that are on fire for Jesus, and I think, man, I want what they've got. I want to be more disciplined in my quiet times. I want to carve out more time for Jesus. You know, and I'm not there yet, but I am tracking in the right direction. And I may not get up at five o'clock in the morning, but I do spend time with Jesus every morning before I leave my bedroom. And, you know, sometimes it's beautiful. It's a peaceful space. The kids are still asleep. Sometimes they're climbing all over me. Sometimes I'm yelling at them to leave me alone so I can talk to Jesus. Sometimes it's not pretty, but I'm doing it. And, and I can feel the benefit. You know, sometimes I want to stay in bed because it's really hard to get up in the morning, especially when it's freezing. But I am spurred on by the passionate devotion of the people in our midst. So if you're feeling dry this morning, I want to encourage you, get alongside someone that's passionate. Get alongside and capture some of their fire for Jesus. John Tyson says, There is more power in a moment of passion than in a lifetime of mediocrity. Passionate devotion shocks others out of their complacency. 
It pours fuel on the pilot light that flickers in the human heart, igniting a response. Where Mary broke the bottle and poured out her perfume, she prophetically depicted what Christ would do for us. In his great love for sinners, Jesus despised the opinion of the world. The bottle he broke was his own body. Rather than perfume, he poured out his blood. This was the wasteful, extravagant love of God, the true passion of Christ, that he would take all he had and pour it out so that we might be reconciled to God. So beautiful. Jesus' death is often called the passion of Christ. And I've heard passion described as suffering for something that you love. Living a passionate life comes with sacrifice. When you say yes to Jesus, you often say no to something else. But it's worth it. It is worth it. And the passionate life is what Jesus has for all of his followers, not just for a select few. Jesus invites us into a light yoke. He invites us into his easy, light burden. But the paradox is that doesn't come from living a life found in mediocrity, mediocrity, boredom. It doesn't come in living the status quo. It comes when we follow the life of Jesus. He poured himself out for us passionately. And he calls us to do the same. we got to let our passion move us to action. The church advances through passionate people. The kingdom of God breaks in through passionate people. The love of God spreads through passionate people. And the passionate life is for all of us. It's for everyone here this morning. we got to break open the bottle, just like Mary did, and pour ourselves out. So I would just love to invite you guys to stand this morning. And let's just take a moment to refocus our hearts on God, to just connect in with Him. You might want to close your eyes. You don't have to. That's just an invitation. And I want to ask you this question. What bottle could God be asking you to break open this morning? What way could you be poured out? Maybe it's the bottle of your time. Maybe you're going to set your alarm earlier than usual. Maybe you're going to spend time with him. Maybe you're going to get alongside someone in need. Maybe you're going to mentor someone in in their faith, share your passion. Maybe it's the bottle of your attention that he wants to break open this morning. You're going to feel moved to turn off Netflix. Put your phone down. Open his word. Put on some worship music. Spend time in prayer. Maybe it's the bottle of your creativity that he wants to break open this morning so you can rediscover your love for singing, music, ceramics, dance, sewing, whatever it is, but you do it as worship. You do it with a heart of gratitude. Maybe it's the bottle of your generosity that he wants to break open this morning. Maybe you're going to feel moved to give sacrificially. Maybe you're going to bless someone in need. And in doing so, you'll bless the heart of God. What does it look like in this season to live a passionate life? It's not going to look the same as the person next to you 
We're all in different seasons, but God has something special for you right now when you pour out your life to Him. So as we worship, let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us. What does it look like for us to live a passionate life? Let's worship.